In Martin Gardner's novel, The Flight of Peter Fromm, we witness a scene in which an earnest seminarian named Peter is trying to talk about the resurrection with his very liberal father-in-law, who's also a pastor. But this man does not believe in a bodily resurrection. When Jesus rose again, Peter says, did his new body cast a shadow? Did his feet make noise in the gravel? Sure, the liberal pastor says, in a spiritual way. Well, that answer wasn't good enough for Peter Fromm, and the ideas about Christ's resurrection that were circulating in the Corinthian congregation were not good enough for the Apostle Paul either. Today on Groundwork, we look at Paul's landmark words on the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of us all. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose, and Daryl, this is now the final and seventh episode of our uh, fairly good-sized series on the letter of 1 Corinthians, which we've said all along, is clearly a reply that Paul wrote in response to a rather long letter that he got from the Corinthians that were full of questions, reports on controversies in Corinth, issues they were dealing with. Paul responds to what was clearly some direct quotes that he heard that yeah. people were saying that he disagreed with in Corinth. Uh, and now we're coming down to the end of it here in uh, chapter 15. First uh, Corinthians actually ends in the 16th chapter, which is almost all kind of like housekeeping details. So this is the last substantive chapter, and Paul's going to tackle maybe one of the biggest controversies of them all. The biggest controversy in this whole section would happen to be the one on the resurrection of the dead. Even though there are more issues and this isn't the last you'll hear of him talking to the Corinthian church, at the end of this chapter, the resurrection of the dead is going to be the issue that he wants to address. And actually, let's read the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that say this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So let's begin with a logical question. Why would anyone in Corinth be questioning whether there is any such thing as the resurrection of the dead? That seems like kind of a big thing uh, in terms of the Christian faith. Well, why would anyone be saying that? Let's remember where Corinth was. It was in the Greek world. It was part of Greece. And in most Greek religion and philosophy at that time, our physical bodies were seen as unwanted in the long run. The soul is immortal. That's what Socrates taught and Plato taught. And for now, our immortal soul is imprisoned. It's like trapped. it's in jail, trapped inside this ugh, gross body. So when you die, your soul's set free, and that's a great thing. And so don't mess with that. That was sort of what the Greeks were thinking. So this teaching that you're talking about is called Gnosticism. And in the early church, this was a actual threat to the very message because the message has to do with Jesus raising from the dead. That is the message. So if he raised, he, if he raised in bodily form, that could be a controversy to those who are confused about that. Now, Paul made it clear when he came to Corinth, but he had to readdress it in this letter because they were getting confused about it. This was deep in Greek culture. Gnosticism is probably the oldest heresy in the church, as you said, Daryl, because it disparages the worthwhileness of the physical creation, in this case, our physical bodies. 
Paul actually was able to address this when he went to the Areopagus. And it's shown in Acts chapter 17 when he talks to these Greek scholars. Everybody's kind of doing, okay, what's the flavor of the month? What is the thought of the day? What are we going to talk about? And, and when he talks about the gospel, everybody's with him. But then when he talks about the bodily resurrection of Christ, and they're, they're looking at him like, oh, man. This is a joke. We're going to hear you later on this. They don't want to hear any more about it because they could not conceptualize. It was illogical for them to think, why would anybody want to come back to the body that they escaped that was setting them free from? Yeah, it was a great conversation. They were. This is in Athens, right? This is the heart of the everybody wants to out-philosophize everybody else, right? <laughs> My philosophy is better than your philosophy. So they were really interested in the gospel and Jesus. And then, as you just said, Daryl, in verse 31 of Acts 17, where Paul says, God has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed, that's Jesus, he's given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. And when the Greeks heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, and others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. So talk to you later, Paul. <laughs> you just said one of the dumbest things we've <laughs> ever heard, that a resurrected body is a good thing? No, that sounds like the worst thing in the world. So that was the sticking point, and apparently... That had seeped into the Corinthian congregation, that they were starting to say, well, maybe Jesus, just sort of like that liberal pastor we talked about at the head of this program, uh, maybe it was just kind of a spiritual resurrection, or maybe Jesus kind of lived on in the memories of the disciples. He's alive as long as we remember him. And so they started to backpedal on the actual physicality of our receiving a new resurrection body. Now, this really drove Paul up the wall because he is trying to help them understand that what he got, he received as the mm -hmm. message. Jesus resurrected in bodily form and came back. And he says that if we look at the beginning of the 15th chapter of first Corinthians, where he says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, even though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul is nailing the fact that Jesus's bodily form and resurrection, that's something he continues to emphasize. And you can't have the message without it. I'm reminded of a line from Garrison Keillor uh, from Prairie Home Companion. One of his favorite uh, little jokes or lines is, you know, uh, a pastor asked a man, do you believe in infant baptism? And the man says, believe in it. I've seen it done. <laughs> and so Paul is here saying, do we believe in the resurrection? Believe in it. A lot of us saw him alive. Um, 500 people saw Jesus alive and in the body. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a hallucination. He had a new body and we saw him and the apostles saw him. They watched him eat a piece of fish, right? They, they, they said, he said, go ahead, touch me. You know, it was a different kind of body. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. But Paul says, look, we saw it. I even saw it, uh, even though it was, you know, later than the other apostles. So Paul preached that clearly enough to the Corinthians. They heard it. But again, after he left, maybe they started to be embarrassed about this in front of some of their fellow Greeks. And so they started to let slide a little bit the centrality of the resurrection. But Paul was adamant. If you give up this teaching, you're giving up the whole ship. It is the most important thing. And we're going to talk more about what Paul means in the next segment about that. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? 
Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this seventh and final episode on a landmark letter in the New Testament, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we're now in the second to the last chapter of that letter, Daryl, chapter 15. Paul is taking on the idea that some of the Corinthian Christians, due to the influence of their Greek culture, which despised the very concept of getting our bodies back ever in a resurrection, they had started to say there's no such thing as a resurrection. They were embarrassed in front of their fellow Greek citizens. And Paul says, well, you can say that, but that means Jesus is dead too. And if that's true, then what are we doing? Right. Right. What are we doing? We've got nothing to talk about. We've got no gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 through 19, it says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So this isn't a modest set of claims here. Paul isn't sort of saying, well, you can kind of make up your own. No, uh, you can't make up your own mind on this. This is the ball game. Our faith is futile if Jesus isn't raised. And Jesus can't be raised if there is no such thing as the resurrection. So the Greeks are wrong. There is such a thing as the resurrection. There is Jesus' resurrection. And that means that the people we've lost, that we hope we see again, Well, if they're not raised back in bodily form someday, you won't see Aunt Louise again. You won't see Grandma again. And what's more, Paul says, you know, we're just kind of pathetic because, you know, we're sacrificing a lot for the gospel. We're we're living under the scorn of a lot of other people because we're Christians. Well, if we're taking all those brickbats and all those insults and criticisms for a fantasy because there is no living Jesus at the right hand of God, then what are we doing? It's pathetic. We're pitiful, Paul says. So you see, you're naming this kind of logical argument that Paul is using to build on one another because he's talking to these Greek people who philosophize all the time. So basically what I hear in these verses is that Christ wrote a check Hmm. when he lived his life here and he died, but the check cleared when he resurrected. So the power of the resurrection makes everything worthwhile. Then you will see your people again. You, the message does matter and everything is connected to the resurrection. A lot of people like Advent because Jesus is born, but the, actually the resurrection is even more powerful because he came back and that made everything worthwhile. Because then death is defeated. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 15, For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is the great enemy, uh, the great equalizer, the great leveler, but death will be destroyed so that we can have eternal life. Okay, so Paul, as you say, both, you know, logically, but also just sort of, you know, in terms of common sense, he kind of makes the argument here, but he knows he's writing to Greeks, and like we just said, Greeks like to philosophize, they like to ask questions. So Paul either got wind of a question that people were actually asking in Corinth at the time, or he anticipates the next question. Okay, Paul, so the, uh, you know, we, we're all going to get raised back again someday. Well, 
What's that going to look like? Am, wow. I, am I still going to have this mole on my cheek? Right? Am I? Is my one leg still going to be shorter than the other? You know? Come on. So then Paul says, but someone will ask. This is verse thirty-five. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I love this analogy of the seed, because if you just think about seeds, they have a component of what is important for it to grow inside of it. But you can't fully see that when you're looking at the seeds. But then when you put the seed in the ground, it turns into something else. So the seed is the body. If it's going to go in the ground, then it's going to come up as something else. The, the, the short answer is we don't really know how what kind of the body was going to look like, if we're going to have this mole or not. But we do know that it is going to change into something more powerful and it will be different than what it is now. Yeah, you know, some years ago, it was in the news that uh, in a in a tomb in Japan, it was the tomb of an emperor. Or I don't know whose tomb it was, but but they went into this tomb and they found a jar of seeds. And so, you know, the scientists were looking at it and the experts were looking at it. Oh, look at these seeds. What kind of seeds are these? I wonder what these seeds are. You know, finally, one bright person came along and said, why don't you plant one? <laughs> right? So they planted it. It actually still germinated after all these centuries, and it grew up into this gorgeous eight-petaled white magnolia. Well, just looking at the seed, you couldn't see that that flower was going to come out right. of it. But, but you had to plant it <laughs> to, to get to the magnolia. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, we don't know exactly what our bodies will be like. In fact, he uses what is technically an oxymoron here. He says it's going to be a spiritual body, a psychicon soma. Those two words don't go together. They're usually opposites. It'd right. be like talking about the bright darkness. Same um, difference. Right? So he's using an oxymoron, but he does it to point to a mystery. You know, what's interesting is that He's hearkening back to what Jesus taught because Jesus mm. says about himself, exactly. unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, a woman not produce many seeds. And so this whole seed and sower mentality is from the teachings of Jesus about himself. And Paul's bringing that very teaching, just like he said, what I received, I give to mm. you. And now he's bringing this teaching of seeds and sowing and what it will reap later. And he's bringing that back to the Corinthians so they can remember that they will have hope because the resurrection makes this seed fruitful. Paul likes to use that analogy of the first Adam and the second Adam. So Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, we get our current physical bodies and our makeup from that first Adam in creation. That's the body we have now, which can get sick, yeah. which you can cut, uh, you can bruise, and it dies. But from the second Adam, who is Jesus, the head of the new creation, the new Genesis, right? Think of John 1, in the beginning, right? John is saying, we're starting over. This second Adam will give us that new body, which cannot die or get diseased or be cut and bleed. That is what we're going to get through Christ. And this is kind of a bookend because he started out this book talking about the gospel and Christ crucified and how they thought that was foolishness. And he bookends this at the end of 1 Corinthians talking about the importance of the incorruptible body that we will have because of Christ's resurrection. And that is a powerful thing because that second Adam you're talking about, he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. And we get some hope and encouragement from that very place. 
So in the end, uh, really, 1 Corinthians 15 is about a lot more than just Paul's correcting theology that had run off the rails a little bit. But as we close out this program and this Groundwork series, uh, let's think about how all of this applies to our lives right now. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, I would imagine that most of the people listening to this program have experienced death in one way or another. I mean, in term, at least in terms of adults, right? Yeah. Uh, you rarely bump into somebody who's never, ever been to a funeral, right? We've all been to funerals. And if you go to enough funerals, then you know, or in our case as pastors, when you conduct enough funerals, you know that a part of 1 Corinthians 15 is often read at those services. And this is the passage picking up in verse 51 of chapter 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he's given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, again, uh, ringing words at funerals, uh, Daryl, that we've attended and conducted, but also ringing words in Handel's Oratorio Messiah. Uh, there's that great part in the Easter part of the program, the trumpet shall sound. And a friend of mine uh, who's a really, really good trumpeter, she had to play the trumpet. And there's this glorious, if you've ever heard Handel's Messiah, even once, you probably won't forget it, this glorious trumpet solo uh, that the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. Dun, 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 dun. And so she probably only played this once a year, but she spent most of the year worrying about the next time she'd have to play it because she didn't want to mess that solo up because that's where the clarion call of gospel hope sounds forth as the trumpet sounds because indeed that is our hope that we will be raised we will be changed and death will have no victory or sting anymore and when we look at funerals and when we stand in front of the grave we remember that our hope is that this is not the end, that we will see this person again if their hope is in Christ because he's the resurrection, because he's the life. These are the words that we comfort each other with and we remember that. And then we have words like the Apostles' Creed to say we believe in the resurrection of the body. We say that all the time. And if we remember those things during those difficult times, I believe they can give us some hope. And, you know, it's one thing to say the Apostles' Creed in that penultimate line, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's one thing to say that behind stained glass in a church sanctuary on a nice yeah. sunny Sunday morning. But when we recite the creed graveside, 
we're standing in front of a hole in which our loved one's body is going to go in a few minutes. That takes a lot of faith, a lot of pluck, a lot of courage to say, I believe this body's coming back in some form someday. Not when I'm sitting in a nice church pew and air conditioning, but when I am standing next to this grave, slit into the earth like a wound, yes. um, that's where it really counts. In fact, I, I, Annie Dillard, who's a really good writer, she had a short story, and uh, one scene took place at a graveside committal service. And this family there is sad. Their, their loved one has died. They're about to put the casket into the ground. And the minister reads that line, where, O oh, death, is thy victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And one person in the family hears those words and says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where is your death, is your sting? And he looks around the cemetery and he says, why, it's just about everywhere, seeing as you asked. I mean, death is everywhere in this world. It's true. Yes. But we don't believe it has the last word. I like what you said, Scott, about how it takes tremendous faith in the middle of the trials and in the middle of the circumstances to recite the fact that you believe in the resurrection body, that you believe in the life after death, that death is not the final victor. We actually, as believers, need to make sure that we have our hope in Christ, because when we have our hope in Christ, we can actually speak to things that seem to be final, that seem to be tragic, that seem to be horrible, not denying that they happened, but also that God has the final say about them. And we said that, uh, indeed, we wanted to get practical. Well, how practical is that? I mean, we all have to say goodbye to loved ones, uh, parents, uh, grandparents. Tragically, some have to say goodbye to a child, which is the, the worst, right? But do we have hope uh, as we, we lay this one to rest, this loved one? I, I heard an interview by Dr. Francis Collins, who's the head of the National Institutes of Health and a devout Christian, though he wasn't always. He, uh, he grew up basically with very little, if any, faith. Uh, he went to graduate school. He was a scientist. He believed in science. Um, he didn't have any Christian faith. He thought it was irrational to be a Christian. And then one day when he was getting ready to go to medical school, somebody just up and asked him a question that he had never been asked before. What do you believe? What do you believe in? He didn't have an answer. Yeah. So he kind of looked at Jesus anew, uh, and he said, you know, in this world of death, you got to believe in something. And I believe in Jesus, he now can say, right? And we believe in Jesus, and we believe that he was raised from the dead as what Paul often calls the first fruits. Yes. He went first. We will follow. It's so powerful because, you know, Paul is talking to these Greek people who have this philosophy and they're always thinking about intellectual things and he brings it to the earthy. Mm. He brings it to the practical. He brings it right to their lives because he uses his analogy of how Christ beat death by dying mm. and then he in bodily form will come back, which means everybody you had hope in, you will see them again. So they need that because there's a lot of persecution and a lot of bad mm. things that are happening in the Corinthian area at that time. And Paul wants to make sure that they have the strength and encouragement to keep going and not just answering the questions like a Q&A in the right. letter, right. but living this faith out in a way that is a witness. Exactly. And so uh, as uh, we, we come to the end of our look at First. Corinthians, Paul's kind of brought things full circle, Daryl. In our first program, we looked at how Paul looked at what he called the foolishness of the cross. Yes. How could anything good come from the head of a movement dying? That doesn't look like a very good way to get things done. But Paul said, no, the death of Jesus on the cross was actually not foolish. It was the wisdom of God. And now he rounds out the letter in the final substantive chapter uh, on the other side of the cross. 
the resurrection, which was like God's stamp of approval on everything Jesus said and did. God raised him back up to say everything my son said and did was right. And so we conclude this program in series the way Paul concluded what we call the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com, and there you can share what Groundwork means to you and suggestions for what you would like to hear talked about next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.